Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. Hello, welcome back on this final week of January. How the hell did we get here so fast? Oh my goodness. Today's guest, Aaron Browning. This conversation went all over the place in the absolute best way. We talk about the anatomy of a sudden loss, how that connects into your nervous system, why breath work and meditation can be helpful in healing, the internal housekeeping that can be really powerful to getting you on the right path to healing. I love that phrase. I hadn't heard it that way, but internal housekeeping, it's so true. If you think about how you just feel different when you get things done around the house, when you're successful, when you see the organization that comes in your life and the external affairs, think about it, how it could be internally. Erin does a lot of work like that with her clients and gives us so many tips on how you can relate that to your own life and your own loss that you may be struggling with. And Erin's story, the loss of her partner, Dave, is very similar to what happened with Miss Carrie Bradshaw in the Sex and the City follow-up series and just like that. So hmm, we go over, you know, could Carrie really have saved him? Erin talks about her personal experience on that. Plus, she gives some special offers for you. Listen to the end. There is a code that she gives for the online courses on her website for a discount for you, my valued listener. Also, she did a very special meditation that we will link to in the show notes. I asked her, you know what? what's something we can do for overwhelm? People are feeling overwhelmed no matter what because of this pandemic, because of just life and grief can really add to that. What I specifically said to her, maybe you feel this way too. I know that I do. There are days where I feel like I'm running on a treadmill and days where I feel like I'm running on a track. Obviously the days on the treadmill you're not really going anywhere. (laughs) You're exerting a ton of effort. You're, you're using up this energy, but you're not making much progress. Then the days on the track, you are, you know, you're, you're making laps, you're going around, you're creating a distance. So she did a personal meditation to address that. And it was really great. So the link to that again is in the show notes. I know the title of this episode is internal housekeeping, breathwork and meditation, but there is so much more in this episode. I really think you'll enjoy it. Here's Aaron Browning. We have Erin Browning here today, and you are going to help us with some internal housekeeping. I love that term. I hadn't heard it phrased like that before. I think it's so true. There's so much in the physical world that helps us feel a little bit more on track with our life. And we really should be looking at internally, what can we do to help us feel on track? especially after grief, because your life is totally turned upside down and you have a specific experience with that yourself. So tell us about your loss. Yes, I had a partner. We were together for six years. His name was Dave. And Dave and I, we were not married, but for every sense of the word, I mean, he introduced me as his wife to people. We we operated as a partnership, a couple, a team. He was vibrant, healthy. He was 55 years old. We had a normal evening. We had gone to dinner. We went out to Mexican food, had a couple margaritas, like had a really good evening. He has a son uh, and his son was on vacation. So we were kind of like living it up, you know, mm-hmm. having like mm-hmm. a date night. Empty nesters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was December. So it was a little cold out and we came home and we had like a really great evening together. In hindsight, we had a whole lot of intense conversation that evening. Mm. But after this beautiful time together, Dave looked at me at one point in the evening and said, I don't think we should go back to Mexican food. It's upset my stomach. I don't feel really good. Where are the Tums? You know, so he wanted some antacid. And again, in hindsight, that's a red flag when you're, you know, in your 40s and 50s and you go out and you eat tacos and drink margaritas. It's like par for the course that you might not feel so great. We got through the evening and went to bed. We had beautiful, wonderful conversation again. He said, I love you. If I don't, if I can't get more comfortable and feel better, I'm going to go on the couch and Mm -hmm. I'll be in there and going to watch TV. And I woke up about 45 minutes after our good nights and I heard a loud noise 
I instantly, this sounds insane, but I actually thought there was something wrong with my dog. Oh. Because I heard just like a, a guttural, awful noise. Uh-huh. And I thought to myself, thank God Dave's there to handle it. He's got the dog. And I sat up in the bed and then I went in the living room and it, and he was lying on the couch and it looked as if he was just watching television, but he was not. And so I recognized that fairly quickly, ran immediately to him screaming and he had died of a heart attack. And I stood mm. in front of him and I watched him take the last breath and, and he was gone. Wow. Gone. I know you had said we want to talk about the Sex in the City show. And I mean, you really lived exactly what happened in that show. Oh, yeah. And so it was so hard for me to watch that because I imagine that was difficult. And, you know, there was a lot of backlash on the online community about people like giving Carrie crap that she didn't call 911 quickly enough. And I thought, when you watch the love of your life take their last breath, you immediately go to them. And mm -hmm. the other piece of this that may be a little bit ethereal is there was a sense in me. I mean, I knew that it was done. I knew that it was done. I knew. And I mean, it was it was so I say I went to him and I screamed his name and I I was right there with him. That's what like that's our instinct. Right. Right. Um, but I quickly called 911 as well. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I grabbed my phone and I quickly called 911. So all of this happened. The squad was at our home within minutes. Mm -hmm. But even during that process, there was a point where something shifted in me and I stepped back and I looked at one of the paramedics and said, how much longer are you going to continue to do this to him? Like to try to revive him? Yeah, because it was so clear that it was done. I mean, I knew that yeah. from the very last, when I, when I watched him take that last breath, I knew it was over. Yeah. There is something about that, like the gut reaction with things like that. <sighs> I mean, the day that I had gotten the call, my dad's girlfriend and in a similar situation, they had been together for decades and they, you know, were a, a, a very serious partnership, even though they weren't husband and wife. Yeah. And she had called me that morning and I just, I, I couldn't answer it. And I texted my now husband and I said, I think something's wrong with my dad. And it was just oh. this gut of, of knowing and, and you're so right. Yeah. So that's an interesting way to look at the, the Carrie situation and that maybe she did have this gut reaction that there was nothing left that she could yeah. do for big. But I just thought it was a very bizarre way for the show to handle it. It's right. almost as if like they knew they were going to create some stir by doing it that way, I guess. Like, yeah. And you know, it's so interesting to me to watch it throughout the season too. Mm -hmm. It is like someone has walked into my life and pulled out sections. Like, uh, so the, the part where Carrie is walking, there's an episode where she walks everywhere. Mm -hmm. She's walking all over New York and she's just in this spin of, I need to walk, I'm walking, I'm walking. That was my life. It actually still is my life. Really? I just, yeah. I just said yesterday, I'm still doing the same thing 13 months later. I just moved to a different state. Do you feel that helps you clear your mind to do that? It is amazing. It's an amazing way to uh, shift some of that grief and clear my mind for sure. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the, the 13 months since. I mean, the anatomy of a sudden <sighs> loss is so different from a loss of a loved one who you know is sick, who, you know, unfortunately a death is coming. Not to say that one is ever better, better than the other or easier or worse or whatever, you know, a loss is a loss, grief is grief. But that sudden loss, I like to say, is a certain kind of effed up, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is, and you've lived it too. It's, a, it's mm -hmm. a blow to the system that's a different kind of blow to the nervous system. And so a lot of the work that I do and talk about is nervous system work. So for me, it was this sense of like, now I'm in a constant, especially in the beginning, there's this constant like battle of where's the danger? Where's the threat? Mm -hmm. Where's the danger? Where's the threat? Yes. Because this came out of nowhere. Yes. It just came out of nowhere. And I think that's different. You know, my dad died when I was 20. So I have a little bit of grief experience, but he had cancer. Mm -hmm. So it was a couple years of watching this happen. And then I understood and, you know, was able to kind of come to terms with it. You're never really prepared, no. but it was quite different than thinking I had one life. And then in the blink of an eye, it was gone. 
Right. Well, we've talked gone. about how on the show before how the date of grief is just different. The grief starts almost at the diagnosis. All of that time period is still grief. But then for, and you can kind of put some of your affairs in order in terms of your mental affairs, yeah. but then with a sudden death, that grief starts right at the time and you're trying to process so many things personally and for the person and everything else. I mean, it's really very overwhelming yeah. when that does um, happen. You, you you made me think of something real quick. There's this quote that was that goes around that's like, how do you not constantly fear the worst when the worst has already happened? That is something from a sudden loss that has really stuck with me that I know how brutal the world can be now. It sits with me that that can happen like that again. It can, and we can't control it. Mm -hmm. We can't change it oftentimes. Yeah. That was very difficult for me. You know, there was this layer of it not even being real in the beginning. So he had died. And then the next day, I mean, actually, I didn't go to sleep. He, you know, he died just before midnight. And then I was just up. So I had talked to a friend, a group of friends, and this woman says, I'm going to come and be with you. And I'm going to mm -hmm. come to your house and I'm going to stay for a week and I'll be there this evening. And I said, oh, no, no, you don't need to do that. I've got this handled. I, and she's like, I'll be there this evening. How so nice when is she, that? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. And it was a wonderful support. I actually had a a network of girlfriends that just kind of like figured out a rotation. Swooped in. Oh, help. that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so when she gets there, there, I was moving things around and like tidying things up. And I kept looking, like I would pick up his things and I, he had a pair of reading glasses and I was like, well, I'm not sure where I need to put these. And she looked at me and she said, he's not going to need them. Oh. And I, and she, it was kind. Yeah. And delivered in such a way that I heard it, but it was like one of those first moments where I thought, oh my God, this is, this is it. Mm -hmm. He's not going to need this. And so that probably think, happened over and over and over again. Oh yeah. There were a pair of shoes that I left setting for weeks, like right where he took them off. I could not, and they were dirty. He'd been camping, <laughs> had like dirty <sighs> boots sitting mm -hmm. in the floor, but I couldn't move them. Mm -hmm. um, and then even months, I mean, it took me months to get like step by step through things. I think some of that was due to the sudden loss. Like I said, he had been camping the week before. So there was something about all of that gear that was in a corner in our bedroom waiting to be unpacked and put up where it needed to be. And it smelled like a campfire. And it was mm -hmm. like, it was the last thing he touched. Yeah. Did some part of your mind tell you he was still on the trip and that he would be coming back to return for it? That's what it felt like. It really felt that way. And it was not until, gosh, he died in December. So it wasn't until probably August that I actually like was able to get rid of every single bit of it. Yeah. Or, get, you know, move it somewhere else. I do think that like there was a weird little headspace where this isn't real. Mm -hmm. And I think that's different in sudden loss. Right. Right. You don't have time. You're, it takes the body time to like recalibrate to this new reality. 100%. Yeah. How was the one year anniversary for you in December? It was tough. It was mm -hmm. really, really tough. So I'd left the home where we lived a couple months before that. I just got to a point where I had to go. So I left the home and I was luckily staying with some friends. So it was a pretty supportive situation. But that one year anniversary really hit home. And I was actually writing at that time frame. And I had done an interview with someone who was asking about Dave and it was about the loss. And one of the questions that was posed in that interview was, what would you do if you had one more day with him? And oh in boy. a year's time, I had never allowed myself to think of that. Yeah. Because I had finally come to terms with the fact that I had a new reality to live with. Why would I let myself go there? Mm -hmm. Right? It was so painful. I just got like a gut reaction when you said that. It is weird to even let your mind go there. And that's interesting to think about it like that. Like, look how much progress you've made in this new life that it's almost too painful to go back. Not that you mean you you would probably give anything, and I I would too to be to be back with our person, but getting through those first few days and weeks and months, it is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And once you're on the other side, whatever that means, because we're going to be trying to get to the other side for the rest of our life, but once you make that progress, I mean, I would never want to go back to those beginning days. 
Yeah, of course not. No, it was horrible. It was really, really brutal in those beginning days. And, and so just even to reflect on like, well, what if I had him again Mm -hmm. was so, so tough. So there's like such a space that he still day to day occupies in my heart. Yes. And in my life. And it's this weird kind of dynamic of how do you move forward, especially when a partner dies suddenly, right? Like, how do I move forward and create new life and new plans and new interactions and new loves? And how do I, how do I create space for that and hold what we had sacred? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a really tough balance to walk. And I think also this is different in terms of sudden loss. When people have cancer or have a long illness, they talk about that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. This actually brings up an interesting point. I have this belief that that Dave and I somewhere both in the subconscious part of our brains knew. I can't believe you're saying that because I've always felt that about my dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, years before I always said he's going to be a phone call. Like I feel oh. like I subconsciously knew that too. I've never heard somebody yeah. else say that, but yeah. I kind of love that you did say that cuz it's like this confirmation to me that maybe I'm not crazy. <laughs> You're not crazy. So I'm, I'm going to give you even more confirmation. About six weeks before Dave died, we were lying in bed together. And he said to me, I need to talk to you about something. And I, this is not normally his personality. He was pretty like, I mean, he was like a Marine. We weren't sitting around like unraveling the world through conversation. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he said, I really need you to hear me. I said, okay. And I could tell it was serious. And he said, I'm old and I'm going to die before you. So he was like 13 years older than me. Uh So, and I was like, what? And he said, yeah, I'm old. I'm going to die before you. And I need you to understand that I need, I want you to move on with your life. Wow. I need you to find new love. I need you to move out of this house. Do not sit in this home and be a hermit and read books and write all day, you have to go live again. This was wow. six weeks before he died. And six I actually, weeks. yeah. Wow. And actually I looked at him and I was like, well, I don't think you're going to die before me. So like when I trip you up and I, I'm the one who goes out first, you will. And I teased him and I said, you're, you're never going to find anybody as good as me, babe. So <laughs> like, you know, and I like, right. we laughed and joked about it. But it was a moment that now in reflection, I think we both knew something right. in the subconscious part of our brains. Well, first of all, power to Dave for that, because I hope is is that something that you're able to ho- hold on to now to say to yourself, like, OK, at least I have some guidance in what he would want. Absolutely. I've thought of it from day one. I have known like from day one, I have thought this is he wants me to live, like mm-hmm. live to the fullest life. I, that I could possibly live. And that's beautiful. Like, I hope that is something that's able to, to help you a little bit, because I think that's one of the, the, the biggest things, of course, with the sudden loss, to not have that opportunity to have these final conversations, to know what somebody would want, to know what their wishes are, either for themselves or for you moving forward. And it's almost like you got the littlest glimpse of it and have that message from him directly. And that's so, so beautiful that you have that. It is beautiful. And it's, uh, what does Glennon Doyle say? Brutiful. <laughs> oh, is yeah. This brutal. It is this brutal feeling of at times, but also really beautiful and such a gift to know, mm-hmm. like to truly know, Yeah, you know, because like sometimes you can think, well, this is what they would have said or this is what, but he said it. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, listen, I've gone through it now and I understand how important it is to have those conversations. And it's still brutiful to have them with the people in my life now you know it's just uncomfortable to talk about death in general which is why we're here doing what we do to open it up a little bit more but it is hard to sit down with my mom and say hey do you want to be cremated or do you want to have a a traditional funeral and you want a casket you know but but having those questions answered make it so much easier for everybody yeah when the time comes yeah I, I want to go back. You mentioned something about how much of this is tied into the nervous system. So tell me a little bit about some of the work that you do there. Yeah, our nervous system, the autonomic nervous system is what I'm talking about. So that is not thinking brain. That is like more of an automatic function in our brain. And it 
is not just the brain, it's the entire body. And so like the standard example that is given is your autonomic nervous system is either in sympathetic activation, which is like if a tiger is chasing you, which grief is a perpetual tiger. It's the worst case scenario and you're waiting for it again and again, or you're in parasympathetic, which is the opposite of that. You're absorbing the world around you. You are connecting with other people. You're able to rest adequately, which we both know in grief is like near impossible right? Um, to do all of those things. How do you get that nervous system regulated when you've just experienced this traumatic grief that is going to keep you in that sympathetic activation state? The work that I do with clients, and I started this before grief, before Dave, I do breath work and help people learn how to meditate. Okay. Um, the breath work is basically a structured way to breathe that shifts the state of the nervous system. And my approach is very client specific. So like what would work with me one month into grief, which actually breath work did not work at all one month into grief. It just mm-hmm. made me crazier. But what would work one month into grief is very different than 13 months. Okay. So when I work with clients, it's it's very much unique to that. Tailored to where they are in their journey. Person. Yeah. And who they are as an individual too. And in fact, like there's a whole piece of the self-care world and work. And I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I think that there's a piece of it that's complete like bullshit in mm. our world right now. Okay. Um, tell me about that. What's, what's the bullshit part? Well, I don't think it's one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And I think we're trying to come up with prescriptive ways that you can spend $200 on a subscription program and mindfulness your way to peace. And that is such crap because every single person finds peace differently. I Mm. have found a sense of peace. Part of my internal housekeeping was that every day for months in 20 degree weather, my feet hit the pavement and I walked until I was worn out. I mean, I just walked and walked and walked and walked. That is not breath work. That is not meditation. I needed no coach to do that. I was able to listen to my own internal knowing. Right. Now, part of that is that I would I also had kind of laid a foundation for myself in the years prior where I was, you know, I had like I'd cleaned up my diet quite a bit and I wasn't drinking and doing the kind of things that I did when I was 20 years old and my dad sure. had to cope. So I was able to have a system and a trust in my own body's wisdom like this is what I need. Mhm. To I trust my really... own body. Yeah, I think that's a really important point about laying that foundation. And you're oh. right, the, the the no one size fits all is so true. But there's only so much work that you can do to yourself if you don't have that basic foundation laid of eating well, exercise, getting good sleep, doing things that, you know, can can spark a little endorphins in your body. And if you don't even have the basics down, which to be fair can be very 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 difficult in a time of grief. Yes. And that's why it's so important that like what we're talking about here today can be applied to pretty much anybody because everybody should be in tune to their body and in tune to what makes them feel good so that God forbid when the time does come, they're already at a higher step than they would be from nothing. Right. And so in my work, what I found was that working with clients, I started to apply what I was doing with myself, which was really like super basic. Like what makes you feel a little bit more stable? What feels like sensory pleasure to my body? What like what looks appealing? What smells appealing? Mm -hmm. What what feels good? And then from those tiniest little places, I was able to like find, I called them like joy bubbles. I was able then to like grasp onto just the tiniest little bit of hope. Mm -hmm. And then that cumulative over time is helpful. And in the beginning it was like, oh, okay, well I had one little glimmer of, I looked at a sunrise today and it was Mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. But over time, the more of those experiences I had, the more settling it became to my system. And I really had to just tap into that like piece by piece by piece by piece. And so I've started working with clients, not so much on a, like, let's sit down and we're going to do this long hour and a half breath work and meditate. Cause what that did for me in grief was make my head go a thousand different directions. Mm -hmm. It did not bring me into my own 
internal body until I had created like some routine and stability. I think I go back to what you were saying about the sunsets. I'm sure I remember feeling this way too. When you're able to find the joy in something, no matter how small it is, it's almost like it flexes that muscle again of like, Ooh, I actually can feel that because it can be so hard and it can be so far and few between. And then when you are reminded of like what joy and happiness feels like, and that you are actually able to achieve it, it can be the word I'm looking for. It can be motivational for you to continue to find that. It's like building. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you build a layer of that and then you go at it again and that it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually you come up with not a little bubble of joy, but like an actual life. Yeah. It starts to grow and grow. Real quick, I want to mention Rent the Runway. You guys know that I'm traveling a ton. We moved different states. How do I keep up with that with my wardrobe? Well, here's the trick. I don't really have a lot of clothes. I have some basics and the rest of it, I rent from Rent the Runway. It's the best way to keep up with the styles, the seasons, everything that you could possibly need, any events that you need to go to. I don't have to worry about lugging all that stuff with me. I just rent it and have it sent to whatever location I'm in. But it's not just for travel. I did it all the time too before we were traveling and it's just a great way to make myself feel better. You know, who wants to be in an outfit that you don't even feel comfortable in, you don't like the way that you look? Rent the Runway lets you mix up your styles as often as you want. You can choose from 700 designers. I found designers that I hadn't even heard of that now are some of my favorites. And the absolute best feature, free shipping and dry cleaning. Amazing to not have to worry about that whatsoever. And that's a huge savings for both financially and with time. There's exclusive discounts that you get all the time and you can pause or cancel at any time. They have several different plans that fit your needs. So you can pick how often you think you're gonna be wanting styles or how many styles you're gonna need per month. Right now until the end of January is a special offer that they have 50% off two months of Rent the Runway membership. My code RDR Gianna can help get you 50% off of two months. They have memberships that are starting as low as $45. Great way to try out Rent the Runway, try new trends to spice up that wardrobe in the new year. This offer lasts until January 31st. So log on and act now with code RDR Gianna. You said, and I'm going to mispronounce this, <laughs> that you are in Ayurvedic? health counselor? Yeah. Yeah. So Ayurvedic. Okay. Yes. (laughs) So this is ancient Indian medicine. Oh, interesting. It is the sister science to yoga. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Basically Ayurveda operates in the concept that we all come into the world a certain way. Then over time things happen. And so it's like layers of an onion, right? Mm -hmm. That all these layers come onto us as a, as a soul and as a body over time, if you don't address all of those layers properly through diet and exercise and happy living, actually the three tenets of Ayurveda are food, sex, and sleep. Okay. So through those things, all of my favorite things. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So if you aren't addressing those basic needs in your life, the layers of the onion get you know, contaminated and Mm. you can't trust yourself and you can't feel your own body and you can't feel your own intuition and know what you need to do to be healthy and to remain healthy. So that is like the core concept. It is not the medicine we know in this country. It is not Mm -hmm. allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine is you have a problem and here's the solution to the problem. Sure. Ayurveda is kind of the opposite of that. It's like, let's look at the whole system and kind of get to the root of what is maybe causing disease in the system. Do you have advice for listeners of how they can look at their, their self and their own foundations to see where there might be issues with those uh, main tenants? Yeah. So really, if you just even Google Ayurvedic dosha, D-O-S-H-A, dosha quiz, that is a great starting point. And their Banyan Botanicals has, is a company that sells lots of supplements and that kind of thing, but they have a really wonderful quiz that you can take online and learn about your dosha. And your dosha is basically like your body's 
makeup of how you come into this world and what your tendencies are. Oh, I will have to do that. I'll definitely, I'll definitely link to that in the show notes so people can look after that. And then how does that intertwine with breath work and meditation? And I know you mentioned how each of those really help with anxiety and depression two very serious things that take over during a time of grief. So yes, let's hear it from you on those. For me, I like to work with clients and myself and create kind of a foundational routine through the principles of Ayurveda. It would be, these are the things you do just to get stable in your body. These are some dietary recommendations. And again, they're all individualized, but these are some dietary recommendations. These are some ways to exercise. These are just some basic daily routine recommendations that will help get you stable because I believe that moving into breathwork and meditation, which is more of a mental, emotional process, mm -hmm. isn't going to be super helpful if you have an unstable foundation, sure. and unstable physical body. It just causes more chaos and turmoil. And so I think that if you use a twofold approach and create a nice structure to the daily routine through these principles of Ayurveda, and then add on breathwork and meditation strategies. And, and I also, I mean, this is maybe, maybe I'm biased because I do counsel people in this realm, but I always think it's more helpful to actually get a, a coach, mm -hmm. get, get someone to help you specifically with meditation rather. And the, apps on your phone are fine and that's great to go to sleep or whatever. But if you're really interested in like tapping into those subconscious parts of the brain and shifting the state of the nervous system to actually have a coach or find a program to work with is yeah. in my opinion, much more beneficial. I agree with you because I feel like it's just like one less thing that you have to think about in yourself when you can kind of release control of that and put that in somebody else's hands, put that into the coach's hands to guide you in the direction that you need to go. You know, there's so much that you have to figure out. There's so much self-managing of your own emotions, of your day-to-day -day life. And it's like, if this very important thing you can put into the hands of a coach, how helpful is that? Yeah. Yeah. And so my specific style with breath work, I think about the nervous system and there's a nerve. It's my favorite cranial nerve. It's called the vagus nerve. <laughs> I'm not sure I've heard anyone say they had a favorite cranial nerve, but okay. <laughs> it's called the vagus. And so when you breathe and especially when you voice, like when you speak or voice, you activate the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve controls the voice. It controls swallowing and it innervates in the throat. It also innervates down into the diaphragm and all the way into the gut of our body. They call it the wanderer. I have this belief that breathing is the first layer of that, activating that vagus nerve, almost like you're giving it a little massage. Mm -hmm. And when you activate the vagus, it turns on that parasympathetic part of the nervous system we were talking about. The part that is like, let me connect, let me rest, let me digest, let me absorb life. And then even more specifically, when you bring voice to it, so oftentimes when I work with clients, I will have them actually exhale with noise or hum. So mm -hmm. I'll play music and they hum to it because that motion in the vocal folds in the throat activates the vagus nerve a bit differently. And then if you go even a layer beyond that, which is why I love the work you're doing, when we voice, like when we share our stories about grief, it is a whole nother layer of release. It is a whole nother layer of shifting the state of the nervous system. So you're bringing voice to it physically, but even the layer beyond that emotionally and mentally, it's like a whole nother layer of healing. Oh, well, yay. Thank you. Yeah. So you are doing nervous system work too. You didn't even well, know. How it. about that? I didn't even <laughs> know it. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. And, and you know, that's the thing I always encourage people to do to talk about it, to talk and just release it. Don't hold it within you to, to, to give it its own life and not to be strangling you all the time can be so helpful. And now you're hearing it from Aaron. I always love to say it's not just me. It's the guests say it too. Aaron is saying how helpful that can be to your nervous system. What about anxiety? I know, I know that's kind of why meditation has gotten really big in our culture. Yoga is taking on a whole other form in the past decade for help with anxiety. How exactly does that channel into the nervous system or to, to the yeah. body functions? Yeah. So in my opinion, the nervous system is like the driver of anxiety, right? Mm. 
And we, it's basically sympathetic nervous system activation that happens over and over for an extended time. And we like to call it anxiety. And then if you stay in that state for too long, you end up in collapse, which Mm -hmm. is depression. So it is critical in my opinion that we do the internal housekeeping, which is breathe, voice, create beautiful daily routines that support your life and your life structure so that we can shift out of those states of anxiety and depression. I mean, it's systemic in our world and our culture right now. Mm-hmm. People just live like that. Right. Yeah. It's become like commonplace that this is almost just how you're supposed to yeah. feel. Yeah. yeah. And you know, grief changed some of that for me as well. I don't know. I mean, I would think sudden loss probably impacted it, but definitely grief changed it because I feel like that my baseline of the level of stress and anxiety I was willing to tolerate before Dave died was higher. I just thought this is what life is. We're just totally getting through agree it. We're with on you. the grind. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh no, done. That is not tolerable. We only get so many breaths in this lifetime and mine are going to count. Yes, girl. Love that. I totally agree with you. It's like, while I do have a totally different type of anxiety and depression or what have you, because of the loss of my dad and the loss of friends and people that I've had in my life, I am way less willing to deal with the day-to-day bullshit that I used to, or way less willing to let things get under my skin, where now I'm just like, you know what? That doesn't matter. I've seen what matters in life. I've seen what's important. And I'm not going to let this wreck my day because I've had enough days wrecked from the loss of a loved one. Right. Right. So I think that is like a blessing of the grief that I have found is that, you know, I'm able to, to shift that a little bit out of Mm -hmm. that, that standard anxiety. And like you said, there's definitely a different type of anxiety that comes along with grief that truthfully, I'm not the expert on. I'm working my way through same as everybody listening to this podcast, probably, you know, Mm -hmm. I might be three steps ahead, but I'm not, I'm not the person who's invented the formula to resolve that anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, like, I don't think there is one there. I don't think Mm -hmm. there is like, oh, if you go the medical route, that's going to help. If you go the holistic route, that's going to help. I think like you said, it's not one size fits all. There isn't a perfect solution for everybody. Everyone has to kind of look at themselves internally, look at the situation they've been through, look at what does success look like for them? Success can look totally different to different people, you know, to say, I want to be cured of my anxiety or I want to not feel depression or I want to get back to this part of my life. Success is is very different. And then tell me about your vagabond life. I decided to leave where we were living, but it took me months, like eight months to get to a point where I just knew I needed to leave. And so I sold everything. Like everything I own fits in my car at this point. I have a wonderful friend. And in fact, We both went through divorces at a similar time seven years ago. And so she was coming to Tucson for the winter and came too. And so we don't live together. We have separate places, but it's lovely to have one person that I know in the city. And so I came to Tucson. My plans, I'll be teaching at a yoga retreat in uh, Huatuco, Mexico cool. um, in March. And that's about as far as I have it figured out. Cool. Good for you. I I wonder if you feel similar. I know how I've started to feel in terms of the place where I was. I was based in Philadelphia and that's where I lived and that's where my dad lived. And that's where I spent my time grieving, I say. And then I am four and a half years out and I feel like I'm just so different. I feel like I've had a lot of growth, but I had a lot of parts of me die too. I've had a lot of changes and transformations over that time. You know, it doesn't help also that I became a mom. Like I'm just so different from the person that I was, that I felt like the place where I lived had nothing left to offer me and that it was almost holding me back because I was just surrounded by some of the negative memories. And like you said, you become a whole different person through this grief process. And it's wild to think about it 
from losing Dave because there are moments where I feel like I wish he could see me. Like I wish he were here to see this new Aaron. And mm -hmm. I've said so many times, like he would be thrilled. I'm way less uptight than I was when he was alive. Like mm -hmm. I was a stepmom and I was like, this is what we're doing and here's how we're doing it. Now I'm like, oh, whatever. Sure. Mm -hmm. We'll stay out later. You know, I wish he would love that. He would have been so thrilled to see that, but I wouldn't be any of it if he was alive. It's a really weird feeling yeah. to know that you wouldn't be this person without this loss. And yet you miss that person that's gone so deeply. I feel that 100%. And <sighs> I'm sure there are so many of the listeners sitting here nodding their heads at the same time too, because it's a very common thing to feel that. But one of those aspects of grief that is so hard to grasp if you haven't gone through it. Yeah. But thanks. So thank you for putting words to it. I mean, that was a, a great way of explaining it. And I, I feel the same way, you know, I, but I do feel like, do you feel that Dave is watching you? Cause that's how I feel. I wish my dad could see this, this, and this, but I know he does. It's selfishly. I wish I could see his reaction to these yes. things. Yes, for yeah. sure. For sure. I do feel like he's, there's like an ever presence of him in my mm -hmm. world that I don't think will ever go away. There are, it was very intense in the early days, like in the early days of him leaving this earth, it was really intense that I could still feel him. And now I feel like it's a little bit further removed so that I can function in the yes. world, yes. you know, but I do feel that there's a, a presence and a knowing that he, he will always be here And what's interesting is as I've gotten lighter in my grief journey, I feel that in my dad's spirit too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting to think about. Like I used to be able in early days of grief, I could lie down in bed and like envision him and like bring him in is what I felt mm -hmm. like. I felt like I could just call him up and that's not the same anymore. Even when I try to do that, it's more of just like a sense of him. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Yeah. So maybe like on the other side of the veil somewhere, their spirit journey is evolving and lightening. I think so too. I think mm -hmm. I'm sure as much as they loved us in life, they love us in death and they wanted to make sure that we're okay. And the, yeah. the further that we get in that journey. And like I said, the lighter that we feel and the more that we feel we have control over our own foundations, as you were saying, or, you know, things that we're doing in our daily life to help our, our health and mental wellness, that they feel that they can take a breath too. Maybe they're doing their own breath work. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> if he learned anything from me in this lifetime, it would be to do his breath work, right? <laughs> he's up there teaching everybody breath work too. <laughs> yeah. He's like marining it to him. He's giving them the commands. <laughs> Too funny. All right. So I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't finish the entire series of just like that. I think I got through the second or third episode. I'm just having a really hard time watching it and not even because of the grief aspect of it. It's just not the same. It's yeah. just, I think they were trying too hard. I, I almost feel that they are, let me see how I want to phrase this, that they, not that they're taking advantage of grief. Maybe that is what I want to say, that they're taking advantage of grief. Like they had nothing else to do, nothing else to say, nothing else creative that they could think of. So let's kill big. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So maybe that was a piece of it. I have had this experience. So I do think that they have capitalized on some like hot topics. Mm -hmm. So I think grief is probably one because it's so widespread right now. Of course. At the end of yeah. the pandemic. But I also feel like the show has been like trying a little too hard to touch in on every hot topic. Yes. Like yes. sexuality and yes. racism. And it's yes. almost like you're just struggling here. It's too many ingredients in one pot that it's diluting yes. the entire soup. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. From my experience, watching Carrie walk through grief has been good and affirming mm -hmm. and you know, there's one scene where she comes to the funeral and someone compliments her dress and she's like, yeah, I wanted to do him proud. Mm -hmm. And I totally remember playing that in my mind before everything, like, what was I going to wear to this funeral? What was I going to wear to the funeral that would make Dave like happy? Mm -hmm. So there are aspects of it where I feel like they did a good job in that regard, but I agree with you fully that they just have like, they're trying to hit every hot topic. Yeah. in our culture right now. And it almost is 
you know, it's muddying the waters. Yeah. Yeah. And I, right. And not to say that it's terrible. There definitely are some parts of grief that are there and that are present and that are spot on, but it's, there's too much other stuff that kind of takes away from it. The one part I loved from the funeral episode was the woman that comes up to her. That's like, Carrie, everyone's going to say that they know, but they don't know, but I know, but don't, <laughs> nobody else knows, but I know. Like, and, and <laughs> that's true too. Everybody wants to, to say that they know exactly what you're going through or that they, you know, there's comments that some people make in the beginning. It was funny. And then the other one was when, when Miranda and Steve were in their closet and they were getting ready for the funeral and they were trying to rationalize how this could have possibly happened. And they're bringing up the bike and why was he on the bike? And didn't he have heart problems? And shouldn't he have consulted with a doctor? And why was he exercising so much? That resonated with me a little bit because I think people want to have an explanation for why bad things happen, right? So they wanted to so heavily place the blame on the bike and the exercise and the past heart problems that he had when that really wasn't the, the case. You know, it could have been something completely different. I felt that with, and I wonder if you had it with Dave, a lot of people would say to me, I think one of the number one questions, well, was he overweight? Well, oh, did yeah. he have a heart condition? Well, had he had other heart attacks, you know, they want to conditionalize it to see and basically to confirm that it can't happen to anybody in their life. Yeah, no, that's a total thing that just it's almost like a justification of like, this is the situation and how do I avoid this situation? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that was an inter it's definitely an interesting dynamic that happens. And honestly, that was maddening for me during mm -hmm. the early days of grief because it was like I actually took it personally as if like I was supposed to have seen something. Do you know right. what I mean? Right. Or like changed something in our life. And right. so it was really tough for me to see that like, well, maybe he should have done this or maybe if Dave right. would have done this or or what are you so shocked for? Didn't you know that like this happened or whatever? And it's like, no, right. Like, no, it's of course taking you're away shocked. from what you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was definitely a, a good moment. That, and I had kind of forgotten about that moment in the closet, mm -hmm. but that was a good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then of course, all the, the eerie scenes with Willie Garson and Stanley's character being there talking about death. And we know as the audience that unfortunately that is his fate now, but tell me a little bit about the, the additional episodes that <laughs> I did not watch. <laughs> I mean, any good griefy parts that stand out to you? Well, so this past week, last Thursday's episode, Carrie takes her finished book to her editor and her editor says, this is beautiful. It's wonderful. And you're going to lose all of your readers because it is so heavy uh -huh. and dark. So uh -huh. you need to go on a date. Even if it's an epilogue, you have to go on a date. And so, and then the editor says, and I've pitched this epilogue to Oprah, Oprah's book club, and they like the idea of a date too. So Carrie goes on a date specifically so she can write an epilogue for the book. <laughs> and is she, is she in the phrase of like, all right, let's just get this over with so I can say that I did it or is she actually yes. embracing it? Well, I think that there's an evolution in the episode where she does kind of get to the point that like she can at least enjoy herself in the day. And okay. like, you know, but definitely it was the beginnings are like, let's just do this. Let's, and that was a real reality for me as well after Dave died and I started thinking about men and it was like, well, I just need to jump in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, okay, let's just get on all the dating apps. Let's get on Bumble. Let's so get on I was going to say, on, yeah, yeah, if you're comfortable things. with sharing, let's hear your <laughs> dating experience. It is definitely interesting and different than anything I've ever done. Like, so I've been through a divorce. So I've been, you know, been 35 and single, didn't think I would be. And now 42 and single didn't think I would be, but it's definitely a very different experience. I will say that early on, and this is an interesting factor, there is a thing and i read about it and I thought this is total bunk. This will never happen. They call it widow's fire. And it is a like this deep need that you just, at a certain point, you just need like contact, but like you physical contact. Phys yeah. You realize that you are missing physical contact and pleasure and sex and, and that was a real phenomenon where I was just like, I just got to get back in the game, but it didn't quite work out. The very first date that I went on, I met a man on Tinder, like what's a 42 year old single woman doing on <laughs> Tinder, but there I was <laughs> swiping, and swiping and swiping. 
And so I met this man on Tinder and I go to a date with him. He hugged me and I had a visceral reaction. Like I literally thought I would throw up on him. <gasps> it was horrible. really So I pushed through that. I'd like took a breath and I excused myself. I went to the bathroom. I mean, like we had just walked in and then he yeah. gets a table. We had a glass of wine and we were going to go, go somewhere else afterwards. We had not decided, but at one point I picked up my wine and I realized like I had just chugged a glass of wine. Wow. Like I just yeah. drank it down and I said to him, this isn't going to work. Yeah. And so I just, I left. I just mm -hmm. walked out and he kept texting and calling and texting, and calling, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. I'm a grown woman. I just can't be in this situation any longer. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first, that was like my first leap. What's so interesting about that is you have probably hugged other people since oh. Dave's passing, but that the body just knew that that one was different. Yeah. And I thought like we had communicated and I thought that my body would melt. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I felt like. I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to like, I'm going to hug this man and I'm just going to melt. And then I did not, I wanted to throw up, mm -hmm. <laughs> which was a very different reaction than what I had anticipated. So that was your very first one. Mm -hmm. Have yeah. you been on others since? I have and actually have had much better experiences. But what I will say is that the good experience that is currently happening is with someone that I had a lot of familiarity with. So I've mm -hmm. known for, and there's been over a length of many months, there's been a lot of trust developed and a little bit more stability in that regard, rather than just like going out on a Tinder date. Sure. Sure. So I've heard that, that is I've heard my that advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is my advice is like, find somebody that you can connect with and have conversation with and be friends with. And that is open to even understanding like what you're dealing with and sure. able to hold that and support it because the grief isn't going away. Yes. And so not all people are up for that challenge. I think it's, it takes a really special man or woman to bring that gift of that space to the table, you know, mm -hmm. especially when they don't know you. And that's a, that's tricky. That takes a, a strong, brave person. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really loved this whole conversation. I feel like we were all over the place, but on so many good topics. Is there anything that you feel you want to add that we didn't touch on? No, I feel really complete with this. I think we have talked a lot about some good grief topics and helped people understand, you know, that they're not alone in this. They're not alone in this. We all, if we live a loving life, we experience loss. Mm -hmm. It's yes. the opposite side of love and, yes. and grief is just a testament to how much you love that person. So right. yeah. How lucky yeah. are we to have had the opportunity to love someone so much that we get to feel this grief? That is true. Mm -hmm. That is true. Where can everyone find you? And, and especially if they want to pursue your services, yeah. which all sound amazing. Yeah. So my website is erin-browning.com. I'm on Instagram at erin.l.browning. And what I'll actually do, Gianna, is I will make a discount code. Great. Um, so I have like a couple mini courses that can be purchased on my website Done. and I'll make a discount code. And, and you tell me the acronym. S-S-F-Y-L. S-S-F-Y-L. Yeah. So yeah. that will be the discount code. Okay. Love okay. it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at So Sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss. So stay tuned.